I'm, I tend to be on the Discord a little bit more than you guys, and yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of like requests for like what's in my mouth, you know. <laughs> Is it like a guessing game for them? Mm-hmm. Like, what's, yeah, I what put like small animal figurines in there, and then oh no, I do pieces of root. Oh, you know, that's the tastiest meeple. Um, they're all pretty paint flavored, but <laughs> yeah, I guess the birds. Oh, nice. <laughs> about a bite ability. Yeah, <laughs> bite ability. Should we just s- screw today's script and do a tier ranking based on taste? <laughs> it, it, that actually has been requested. When we were like, we're going to write the meeples on how they look, someone said you should rate them on how they taste. Who wrote that? The Vagrant? I think it was probably Nev, the human vagrant. <laughs> as fun as that sounds, I still don't have a physical copy of Root, so I, I would just be... <laughs> Going based on imagination for the most part. Here's what I'm saying, Kyle. Root is coming back into stock at the game store I work at, and I have a sick discount. Um, but that being said, you have to earn your copy. You don't get my discounted one. You have. Does your game you have shop to- have a shed that needs repairing? <laughs> <laughs> or a speech that needs giving? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or a bandit that needs expelling? <laughs> That's right, guys. Today we're talking about the Vagabond. Ooh, the black hat of Root. It's outside of Vagabond Week, though. Well, it's the opposite of Vagabond Week. We are we are six months to the day from when we recorded Vagabond Week, so it's anti-Vagabond Week, right? Oh, whoa. Is that true? No, I made that. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I was like, oh, my God. Well, it feels <laughs> like it could be true, because it has yeah. been a pretty long time since we did that. I'm... Speaking as though I have an ambush in my hand. No, I'm being deceptive. (laughs) I'm making it up. But this week, yeah, we're talking about how to defeat this little troublemaker of the woodland. This menace. And though the whole episode could be summarized with just hit him, (laughs) we have a lot more to say. Uh, But before we do, what about a little bit of Root News? Root News! (laughs) Yes, we got a little bit of a root update going on for you. As you know, the winter tournament continues. We are still in round one as of the time of recording. Uh, and we actually have just some amazing news to share with you guys. Um, if you haven't been keep, keeping up with the winter tournament, that's okay. That's why you get our podcast so we can help keep you up to date. So we we took a week off because holidays. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to catch you up on two weekends worth of a root tournament news. Ooh. Oddly, the last... I'm going to say seven games have all taken place on either the autumn map or the winter map, except for actually, no, there's one on lake map. I take that back. But most most of the choices seem to be gravitating towards winter and autumn map, which is a little interesting. Oh, wow. Because um, we, we saw a couple really exciting games on mountain map as well in the early portion of the tournament. So personally, I'm looking forward to seeing a return to some of those expansion maps. Autumn is summer for clarification, right? Like it's the it's randomized clearing. Correct. It's it's uh, right. The, the kind of standard map with randomized clearing. So mm-hmm. calling it summer map. I just call it autumn map. I, I also call it autumn map, but uh, just for the for the uninitiated. I like mm-hmm. that we are clarifying this. Um because if you, for instance, if you just only play digital, uh, there was a time when the auto map was totally randomized, or you at least had that option, but now it's like pretty locked in. To be randomized all the time. Uh, actually, just as the, the standard suit clearing. All the time. What? Yeah, I know. They changed it from randomized to back to one way? They did, yeah. That's that's one of the changes that I, I feel annoyed about. Whoa, that feels like a regression. Yeah, but winter map is still randomized, but uh, auto map no longer is. Wow. Yeah, bummer. All right, but anyway, let's catch you guys up. So on (laughs) 
this has been a, a story of Woodland Alliance winning tournament games in yeah. in the recent weeks. Uh, you know, I, I assume people just didn't listen to the guide yet, but uh, <laughs> it's not out yet. I don't think ah, it man, literally should've... comes out two days after this recording. <laughs> the thing is, is root news is always like a month late. Yeah, <laughs> we're living we're living so fair. far in the past. Everybody's listening to this like this was like uh, two months ago. Yeah, <laughs> or a month I'm ago. currently dead. Um, OK, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, so it was on the lake map, this game 11 and uh, player Allen won with the Woodland Alliance, which is so amazing. You know, I'm actually Ooh. thinking that the the delay is actually good, so that way we're not spoiling any any vods. That that's a good call. That's a good watch. call. Uh, but yeah, Allen won with the Woodland Alliance and Lake Map Eight by my lights, at least. That's not a very favorable map for that faction, and just managed to really just hang in there and, and pulled off a nice win. You say that because of the giant body of water in the middle, which makes it harder to spread sympathy if they don't have a raft around. Actually, even if they do have a raft around, it doesn't matter. They can't really use it for that. Right? Uh, yeah, life is just always tough if you're the alliance on that map. It's yeah. just like no matter what you do, you're always hitting stop points. You know, there's there's natural right. choke points built into the map, and it tends to be a bit, uh, you know, armies build up pretty fast there for whatever reason, just because of the the movement is restricted, I guess. Yeah, there's one thing on the lake map that has no sympathy for sympathy, and that's the lake itself. <laughs> that's right. That lake is a staunch conservative. Uh, okay, <laughs> so moving on to game 12. It took place on the autumn map or the summer map. Linen Master, a uh, listener to the show, took a game as the Thief Vagabond, which is pretty impressive. Uh, game featured a lot of questing. And uh, really showed off what a Vagabond that starts with a T uh, is good at, which is namely everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, Thief is a great Vagabond. and But I mean, like you said, Kyle, winning as the Vagabond is no cakewalk anymore. Hardly trivial in the Winter Tournament where uh, some rules changes, including Despot Infamy and No Coalitions, have made it. Uh, it it's raised some barriers, I would say, for yeah. easy Vagabond victories, um, which is good. Um, and with this victory, Linden Master at least proves that the Thief is definitely a viable Vagabond in tournament play, even with restrictions. Is this the first Vagabond win of the tournament? I can't remember. Uh, this might have been the first, but there is one more, uh, for sure, coming up here in a Ooh, second. okay. Um, but quickly, let's, let's go to game 13, because this is the Woodland War Machine podcast, and one of our co-hosts, namely, uh, Mr. Jake Michaels, played in game 13 Hello. on the winter map. Yeah. And uh, Jake, you were the Woodland Alliance in that game. How was that game for you? Oh, my gosh. Filled with so much regret. <laughs> What's interesting about the tournament is like, uh, which I didn't know, actually, I should have been paying more attention to this, but I didn't realize that like we there was no rules person on hand. Garrick was there if we wanted to call him in for like special situations. But for the most part, it was just like you have to pay attention and catch things. Otherwise, things will like be let go. And there were a lot of things let go upon rewatching. I was like, oh, my gosh, because I do rely upon because I play with you two the most often. Right. You two know the rules so well, and you are so good about making sure things are played orderly that you catch things all the time and very instinctually. Mm -hmm. And uh, the fact that we didn't catch a lot of a number of things, uh, it feels like everybody kind of screwed up equally, uh, did make it feel like a little bit of a silly game. Mm. Uh, but yes, I, we, I played as the Woodland Alliance. I got that draft pick third or second i can't recall um yeah again it a, it's pretty tough map for that faction in in most circumstances yeah it's i think i chose it because the other option was a vagabond that i wasn't interested in and otters that i had left and i was 
terrified to play as the otters Mm -hmm. yeah uh i i felt like that game was a really good example of how table talk can really uh open up space to (laughs) to have your own game go better (laughs) yeah because i felt like you did such a good job of like in most of the time like correctly identifying like threats on the board and and getting people to pay attention to that and and spend their turn dealing with it yeah what i lack in in root know-how i make up for in identifying threats to other people (laughs) we (laughs) had one red we had one red faction which was lord of the hundreds and then the rest of us were uh you know as otters uh myself as the alliance and then the third player was right no the third player was crows so there was like a weird amount of like okay we're all watching the hundreds and seeing how (laughs) they stomp us it was yeah it was just an interesting mix-up of like having three non-red factions deal with this one rampager in winter map yeah it was it was really tricky um but in the end jake you had an awesome you just like ramped up really really fast and exploded a bunch of points and then it was just basically impossible to stop you at the end and everyone kind of took their shot and just came fell a bit short of 30 points and you ended up clinching it it. was so crazy the lord of the hundreds had it the lord of hundreds i think was at 27 when it came to my turn and like we managed to virtually board wipe him yeah and that was the only thing that saved my bacon then he got to 29 and then i barely scratched over yeah there was like an ambush on the at the oh no it was partisans partisan mouse partisans that's what it was yeah a controversial craft at the time i remember and then partisans saved the day at the end very yeah it was a blast and i'm eager to lose in round two well that's fine because then you get you still get round three jake you're the only (laughs) one who's guaranteed round three right now you are through you are through my friend uh so exciting um just really cool that our podcast has some skin in the game you guys um, yeah stay up to date with woodland war machine yeah when's when's your game sam uh that's confidential actually uh by the time this episode's released i should have played it i think it's on the 12th or something great awesome can't wait game 14 happened on the winter map also uh and this actually was the second game of the weekend where the thief uh vagabond won the game so congrats to Otis for a thief victory. Again, we, we, we're starting to see the meta shift a bit where the thief has been completing quests uh, and using that T to um, not only be able to complete some of those quests, but to just keep the action economy humming along nicely for basically the whole game. So even if you get a little bit item blocked, there's, there's still a way to kind of keep going, keep paddling. Yeah, it was just like a solid, solid victory with the Thief. Game 15 happened on the odd map or the summer map. And uh, this time we actually saw a victory from the Underground Duchy. Congrats to Hansu. Wow. That's the first moles of the tournament, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, they stomped and romped. Oh, wow. awesome. I actually, I did not um, watch that whole pod, so I, I can't really speak to the granular strategy there. Well, that's another good space to plug Garrick Samples Games, both on YouTube and Twitch, where you can check out the games. They're up on Twitch first, then shortly thereafter, they'll be up on YouTube. Really good stuff. Uh, and congrats to Garrick for organizing a great tournament. It's, it's been, been a, a so pleasure. Yeah, he and Lily are great shoutcasters, too. And you, Kyle, you actually shoutcasted one this weekend, right? That's right, I did. I cast a game 17. But let's talk about game 16 for a second first. Game 16 was on the autumn map. And uh, this is actually our first Keepers in Iron victory. So congrats to Omnix PL. It was a really exciting game. Uh, featured uh, a 
pretty close shave from the Marquise as well. I thought it might end up being our first Cats victory, but turned into a Keeper's win. Wow, Cats or Keepers? That sounds like an exciting one. I'm going to have to watch that one. It was pretty good. Yeah, it was awesome. All right, and then Game 17, the game that I I cast on Sunday uh, with Garrick, great co-host. We had a good chat for that game as well. (laughs) That took place on the winter map, so you can see a little bit of a theme developing here, right? It's just we're taking that... Uh, map that comes with the base game we're just flipping it back and forth uh game 17 was quite a tightrope of a game it it featured the keepers and iron and the warlords of both of the new marauders factions playing in the same mix uh and i think there was it was lizards and lizards as well yeah Yeah, and with alliance that's right so a pretty balanced faction mix uh you know two reds two insurgents and it really looks like the warlord might do it uh, and then it looked like the keepers might do it, but then in the end, the Woodland Alliance snuck through and, and claimed ah. victory. So congrats to Salo. Had a really, really good start with the Alliance, like, you know, a good first revolt and just good positioning overall and managed to convert. Nice. That's three Woodland Alliance wins in that little debrief there. Yeah. And all on lake map or winter map. Like, yeah. what is happening? <laughs> well, what is happening? Any theories on that? Even though we're... we're we're operating on little data, but that's that's kind of where we like to operate. Well, I mean, there's there is a little data. I mean, it's not like we don't have like hundreds of samples, but but I, I think there's a, a little bit of a trend developing. And here's here's what I see. I think it's a combination of the game getting slowed down because of entanglement. And I think it's it's in the late game. People make desperate plays for points mm-hmm. that end up putting them in sympathetic clearings yes so, um, there's yeah. like, in a lot of these games there's been a ton of outrage generated on the final turns and a lot of sympathy being battled um so i think that's all part of this like they just want to like build up a bunch of points at the end as much as possible you're right it's like the last two turns as a matter of fact people just start not necessarily throwing hail marys but they make really active choices and if the woodland alliance is on the board those active choices are going to benefit them mm-hmm. yeah it just keeps their engine turning super hard uh, I have another question for you, too. I don't know if you've experienced this, but when the Keepers and Iron and the Lord of the Hundreds are in a game together, I find that they tend not to really mess with each other. They tend to kind of wreck the other two factions. Now, I know in this example here, the Woodland Alliance won, but like in the one you saw, is was does that hold up? Is that true? Because I feel like the, the Lords want easy battles because they need to rule, and the Badgers are very stubborn about giving up anything <laughs> because of their the hit mechanic and such. It's a good question. I mean, yeah, they, the, the Keepers and Iron want, want to hang on to those hand cards in order to put them in the retinue at the end of their turn. And they do probably want to avoid sympathy as much as possible. Um, well, they can't really help avoid sympathy because they got to go where the clearing, where the forest leads them a little bit, right? Yeah, the thing is, the is that there's such a... They just move around so much that it's right. kind of... What I'm saying is is they don't fight the Lord of the Hundreds often, and Lord of the Hundreds doesn't really go for them because it's not an easy battle. They'd rather go for something more simple. I see. Yeah, I, I think I think there's a little bit of polarization with those two factions. Yes. Which yeah. is cool. I've noticed that, yeah. Which is interesting because it's the opposite of entanglement, which is what's encouraged by two red factions. Well, it, it kind of encourages them to get entangled with the other two factions separately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> much to those fellas' detriment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all one big entanglement in the end. Okay. Well, great. Thanks for the recap. That's well, your root tournament recap. Um, <laughs> nice. Really excited to get into the kind of later stages of round one here. We are more than halfway through round one. Uh, and it's just root all the way down from here. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs>
The rest of the tournament's going to be full of root. That's all we know. <laughs> well, since Vagabond won two games, we need to figure out what went wrong. So oh, it's yeah. time for a versus guide with that little scoundrel, that scamp, that scruffy hero. That scruffy hero. Yeah, we will say, though, this guide is uh, not really taking into account despot infamy, right? Correct. That's a good point. We're right. using rules as written for this, for this right. guide. I mean, well, we just don't have enough information about despot right. infamy yet. Let's, let's remind the audience what despot inf infamy is. It's a rule that's being implemented in the Root Winner Tournament and might be in other tournaments in the future. So despot infamy affects the Vagabond scoring when they're attacking, and it, it mirrors the despot leader uh, from the Eerie Dynasties. That's where it gets its name. So they just get one point if any amount of hostile pieces are removed instead of one point per hostile piece. So yeah, if they took out three rate. warriors and a, and a building, they'd get two points with Despot Infamy, and they would get four points with the rules as written. Great. Yeah, so oh, a five, bit of a... Five points rules as written. Sorry. Five points if it's three warriors and a building because it'd be like cardboard right. point plus the... Yeah, right. anyway... Um, like, as you can see, the math quickly gets out of control with normal rules infamy. Uh, Despot infamy, it's a pretty significant nerf to the more, like, fighty vagabonds mm -hmm. uh, that rely on those battles for the bulk of their points. Um, but we, we'll talk about infamy as a strategy a little bit later on in this guide. First, I just want to say that it's hard to be mad at the vagabond because they're so cute. <laughs> hmm. not all of them some of them are like d tier <laughs> okay Even by mean, your own standard that is fair that is fair but a majority of them are, are like really cute all right even the dirt even the dirtiest little dumpster di diver the vagrant i have a special place in my heart for it's true I, he kind of comes around all full circle like all the way around the other side and i'm like oh you're cute again <laughs> <laughs> just to look at them, you wouldn't feel very threatened because it's like one dude and there's this like sea of armies and meeples like taking up the board and, you know, you have Lord of the Hundreds, it's bright red, it's very scary. And the Vagabond just kind of blends into the background and like skips around from clearing to clearing. So they wouldn't seem on the surface to be that scary. But Sam, can you can you tell us what's the threat level for the Vagabond? Well, if we're getting into it, here it is, folks. Here's the threat level. Wee-oo, <laughs> The threat level for Vagabond is the reddest of red. The red of your blood that you're bleeding because you've already been stabbed by the Vagabond. Oh, oh God. I said, like, your threat level, like, raid siren is actually a car alarm. Yeah, well, that the Vagabond, in addition to stabbing you, just broke into your car. Oh, and you're man. like, how can they be in two places at once? I do want to isolate your car alarm and replace my car alarm with your voice and just amplify it. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, 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 Sam. <laughs> yeah, the, the Vagabond is absolutely one of the uh, biggest sharks in the ocean in terms of root factions. They are uh, scary, tiny little meeple. <laughs> They're a serial killer. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. They are. Uh, they love murder. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah, so the Vagabond, definitely threat level red. Uh, considered to be a heavy favorite. I feel like that's that's an easy thing to say uh, after all we've learned. The kind of the thing is you need to hit the Vagabond to experience some kind of uh, of balance in the game. Like, we have to interact with this faction. We have to, to punch that serial killer. 
Uh, it was one of the root commandments is thou shalt not forget to hit the vagabond or whatever, however we phrased it. Or however root God phrased it. <laughs> how many, it. Ever many double negatives were involved? <laughs> uh, thou shalt not forget to. Thou shalt not forget to. I feel like we also mentioned it in the vagabond guide of like the way to stop you is for them to hit you. And that's yeah. kind of the the one action you got. Yeah. If we were going to be hyper reductionist about this versus guide, I I could probably reduce it to one word, which is punch. Oh, mm -hmm. <laughs> I thought you were going to say punch him and just make it one word. <laughs> punch him. Punch, punch him. him. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so here's the here's the thing. We should we should establish like why are they so scary? Right. The thing is, the vagabond uses these items to complete actions or take actions in a game of root. Uh, the issue lies in the fact that these items accumulate over the course of the game and that each of the Vagabond's actions are just slightly better than almost any other faction's kind of typical actions are, right? Like, it doesn't seem like so much to be like, oh, flip a sword, take a battle. But then you realize you can take three battles in a turn and you get to choose exactly when and where that happens in what order. Like, it, the menu of options, it just hits a little harder than some of the other factions, the other thing to think about, too, is with infamy, the points ramp up very quickly. Sam, in your example you gave earlier, three warriors in a building, that's worth five points to the Vagabond. That's like one-sixth of your total points that you need to win a game of Root. Like, right. It gets out of control uh, super suddenly, and the amount of control the Vagabond has over their action economy is... It makes it really hard to make them take an inefficient turn. Right. I mean, they just have a slew of items that they get to use at any point. Like their daylight's just kind of a blank check of when they get to do things. And that kind of flexibility makes that faction super good for taking efficient turns. It's just an optimization puzzle right. and you're in control. So yeah. like as a player, the more experience you get with the Vagabond, the deadlier and deadlier you become. Uh, and then lastly, the reason I think they're a threat is because, uh, like you mentioned earlier, interacting with this faction is like not mandatory. And in fact, it's when you attack the Vagabond, you don't really get anything for doing so. Right. Like no. you, you battle yeah. them. You might lose a warrior or something. Weaken your own army and waste an action. The waste in action is such a cost too, right? Yeah. yeah. Like you don't get points. <laughs> You get you get to be like, all right, I did it to the table. <laughs> That's kind of yeah, what I it's like. Homework. About it. You yeah. get to give them that look, yeah. that satisfied look of you contributed. Mm -hmm. Don't tell me at the end of the game that we didn't stop the vagabond. I did everything <laughs> I could. Turn to looking at you, Otters. Looking <laughs> at you. I mean, notably, also they just don't have buildings for us to destroy. They don't have an, their engine is is well, it's not untouchable, but it is kind of untouchable. It doesn't exist on the board. We only exist wherever he is, and right. if you're lucky enough to smack him. So oftentimes, checking the vagabond is just a product of convenience, right? Like, is it in your neighborhood? Right. And if it's not in your neighborhood and you feel you need to do it, that's more actions that it's costing you with still zero point gain. Mm -hmm. So we've kind of been talking about on the pod and in the discord lately about like kind of like these like bottoming out mechanics like turmoil or fear of the faithful or price of failure. Right. Like these kind of like uh, mechanisms within a faction that's like they've hit rock bottom and like what does it cost them? And with the Vagabond, you can destroy every item they have. And they'll just slip into the forest and get them all back next turn. 
Right, because destroy is just damage, which they can repair right. in the forest. The only way for them to actually lose items is like them just not having a bag. Like they kind of have to do it to themselves. Yeah, that is true. That is true. And it kind of depends on the specific vagabond class that you're facing, because mm-hmm. certain vagabonds will hit that item cap as they're exploring the ruins. Others are usually going to be fine. Uh, maybe we should take a quick dive into the different kind of faction uh, classes and see what there is to uh, kind of keep tabs on. Yeah, I think like for the most part, most of this guide is going to have salient advice no matter what Vagabond class you're going up against. But we wanted to touch on just a little bit. If you're going into this Vagabond, have this little nugget in mind uh, while you're uh, taking the rest of the guide's advice. So Thief, it starts with a T. Thief starts with a T, so don't craft any more tea for the love of God, all right? <laughs> also, uh, Kyle, you've been noting that this can lead to them being better at questing. I think this is kind of a reaction to the winter tournament. Well, because we've seen it more, it's just really occurred to me that, like, some of the quests, two, in fact, two different quests involve tea, right? Right. Uh, there's the one that's tea and coins, and then there's the one that's uh, torch and tea. Mm-hmm. I think it's give a speech, right? It's torch and tea. Mm-hmm. And... I just feel like a lot of vagabonds who, you know, most of them who don't start with a T would be like, oh, I'm probably never going to do those quests because it's just too expensive. Like, I have to give up a T for that. But the thief on turn one could be like, sure, I'll do a T quest. No problem. Get right. that rolling right away. I just feel like it's more that they have uh, more of an ability to do those sorts of quests earlier in the game. Yeah, they just like never have an issue with their action economy early on. So it's right. very dangerous. Because the T is the mechanism by which they refresh their used items. Correct, yeah. With one T, you can refresh five items in Birdsong. With two, it becomes seven. And this is why you don't craft more, because the Thief can actually get three Ts, and then you're refreshing nine items a turn. And, like, will they even have nine items to refresh? If they do, they've won. That game's over. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Let's talk about the Tinker. I think the Tinker is one of the more infamous classes of Vagabond. Uh, Obviously, their special ability is that they can grab a card from the discard pile. Uh, yeah. As long as they're in a matching clearing. And they also start with a hammer, which means they will have two hammers because there's a hammer in the ruins. Um, so if they, if anyone discards the anvil card, the one card in the deck that lets you craft a hammer, then they can get that out of the discard pile and have three hammers, which of course can craft favor of whatever you want. Yeah, brutal if you're with the base deck for sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, basically you just want to watch what you discard for Thief, we're like, don't craft a tea. And for right. Tinker, it's even worse. It's like, don't even discard it. <laughs> don't discard a tea. Don't discard really anything. <laughs> anything that you, that could be used against you. Just store it up. Store it up in your hand. Sappers could go. What are the cards? Get a savings account. Dominance cards can go. Like, But other than that, like, yeah. Uh, so that, that can be a pretty tough one. I mean, the thing with Tinker is that they do start undefended. No swords, so can make use of that early on oh yeah and don't feel guilty like this is the scariest vagabond hit them turn two as hard as you can i remember there was one tournament game where i crafted a t and a hammer on turn one as the tinker (laughs) i i like never left the forest for the rest of the game the table responded appropriately they were like all right go into full kill mode i remember like the corvids what came from like halfway across the map just to beat me up it was like super fun um so yeah you you really have to take the tinker very seriously i think (laughs) uh let's talk about the ranger i feel like the ranger is a little bit uh under the radar 
Yeah. Ranger's one of these ones that can get item capped if they if the random generator for what item they get out of the ruins is bad. Uh, that they can end up where they didn't get the bag and they have too many items and have to toss one. Um, so not a lot you can really do about that other than not crafting an early bag and hoping for the best, but that is something to note. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like to say bags and boots are really important to Ranger. Right. Because um, they can suffer from this thing that happens to the Arbiter sometimes as well, where like they're like full to the brim with swords and crossbows and are really scary, but they can only slip like one clearing at a time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, yeah. the threat is a little muted because they're just like, I'm going to get there eventually. Yeah. And you can have plenty of time to prepare. Yeah, they're just kind of a wrecking ball that's, mm-hmm. you know, deletes one clearing at a time as it takes their turn. <laughs> Notably, they do start with a crossbow, so that can make yeah. games against uh, the Woodland Alliance a little tricky. Mm-hmm. They go hostile with the Alliance. It means all the sympathy becomes worth two points for the re- rest of the game, mm-hmm. uh, which is terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Did you say this guy's flying under the radar? Because it's pretty crazy. He's really a good a good class of vagabond i would say i feel like hideout is also a pretty sick ability to yeah have yeah too. the torch ability which yeah. lets you repair three items and then immediately end your daylight phase yeah um extremely handy for a kind of battle focused um vagabond like which the they might be if the other table's playing it right too like on their terms right Ooh, it can be can get very scary just don't give them bags <laughs> all right then we got the vagrant the Vagrant is everybody's friend, and that's what's so dangerous about the Vagrant. Uh, they are, uh, a, lot of, a lot of Vagrant strategy lately has revolved around heavy aiding. They start with a coin, so that means they have extra cards in their hand in order to aid. Obviously, you still have to exhaust an item. Remember that rule. But it is a, a decent strategy that we've been seeing take home a lot of Ws, Kyle. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of having a moment, I would say, in the yeah. digital meta for sure. So just yeah, be on the lookout for that. Basically, the the strategy involves um, giving your hand cards to the other factions at the table in exchange for points. And eventually, if you do enough aiding, you reach this thing called allied status with a, a particular faction, where every card you aid is worth two points. And obviously, that gets out of control immediately. Um, <laughs> So Vagrant, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but Vagrant can sometimes damage its own sword or, you know, not even explore for a sword in order to never go hostile with any faction and just basically farm this kind of aid approach and uh, cough up cards for points for the rest of the game. (laughs) Yeah, it's so interesting how it's like not having a sword is an advantage because... You can never cost them movement by making them hostile or deny them points for aiding by making them hostile. Some Vagabonds win this war game by attacking warriors and burning down buildings, and other Vagabonds win this war game by giving gifts. (laughs) It's the season for giving, so... And instigating fights. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We can't forget about that. Scoundrel, everybody's favorite troublemaker... Uh, I said, scoundrel, you got to watch out for juicy clearings. You know, if you got wood piling up and a couple buildings there and another faction's warriors there, the scoundrel is just looking after they explore the ruins. They are just like, where am I going to delete? (laughs) Uh, This can also obviously cause choke points. We kind of talked about that uh, in our Vagabond episode. 
Uh, lake map and winter map are especially vulnerable to some shenanigans uh, with that torched clearing, the scorched earth. But if you're a faction playing against them, I'd just say worry about the points, too, when it comes to how many points they're going to take when they blow it up. Yeah, notably, the, uh, the, the thing to remember, too, though, is that this does not trigger infamy because it's not right. a battle. This is like a special ability kind of separate from that. But it definitely wrecks that clearing for the rest of the game and you can't move through there. So changing the topography of the map can have a drastic effect on the rest of the game. Um, it can cut you off from a supply of wood if you're the Marquise player. It can uh, auto-turmoil the Eerie if it's a particularly sensitive suited clearing. Mm-hmm. This is the wild card Vagabond, in my opinion. Yeah. You just, it's a ticking time bomb. <laughs> yeah. Arbiter. Uh, Arbiter is one of the ones similar to the Ranger, which can get item capped early. Uh, and also, we're going to try to limit their movement. Uh, the best way to do that is to go hostile with them. And they start with two swords, so there's none of that vagrant shenaniganry that's going to go on. You will most likely be able to have them remove one of your warriors, and then they're going to have to have two boots to move through your clearings. Um, can be difficult Yeah, this, one, this one's a tough one. Uh, they It's really spiky, because yeah. it really hurts to battle a Vagabond with two swords like from the beginning of the game. Like, it's just really tough. But you just kind of have to hit your head against this Vagabond a little bit and make it make it hard. For them, because the thing is that they don't have a great action economy usually, and they usually struggle to like get a T, get the items going. If they have to throw away a boot because of a satchel limit, like life is hard for the Arbiter. Yeah. Uh, and so I will say the dice are on your side, right? The average roll is 2 1, which means the Arbiter would do the same amount of damage to you as the Thief would do, or, or any of these other ones that start with one sword. Um, but there is a chance you get a little extra spiky. Yeah, that is true. Uh, let's talk about Adventurer. I feel like Adventurer is um, one of those Vagabonds that like strikes me as a little underrated, and I can't tell if it's correct that it's underrated. I'm not afraid. I'm not <laughs> okay. afraid of the Adventurer. No. <laughs> well, improv is underrated, as we all know. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've got Vagabonds that specialize in murder, and this one's like, can I get a suggestion? <laughs> Of any place you've been lately. <laughs> okay, now I'm going to damage one of my items. <laughs> yeah, I suggest you repair my shed, all right? <laughs> um, yeah, this this Vagabond has a very odd special ability, which is it can damage its one of its own items in order to complete a quest. Kind of incentivizing a quest-heavy strategy. But like a cool alternative engine because does he starts with a hammer, right? So can repair that stuff early on if needed yeah exactly yeah um which which definitely sounds like it would be a, a cool combo <laughs> but i feel like in practice, in practice. it's so yeah. hard to get it rolling also the adventurer starts undefended as well yeah. like kind of like the tinker honestly just like an improv show like real tough to get it rolling sometimes makes sense yeah. so if you follow our cardinal rule which is punch uh, the adventurer is going to have a tough time because if their items are already damaged, they yeah. obviously can't damage them again to complete a quest. So, <laughs> yeah, not not too tricky to deal with this one, I think. But do be aware that if they're flying under the radar and, and they have a, a nice like little stack of completed quests, that those can get um, really valuable the more they kind of stack up. Uh, then we got another non-scary Vagabond. We've got the Ronin. Kyle, what do we have to be... Oh, afraid of the ronin for 
Like, do we have to be afraid? <laughs> I feel like the Ronin is like just like this half baked. Like they just threw it in because they needed a ninth one. Yeah, kind of thing. <laughs> Um, I feel like there's fan faction Vagabond classes that are better than Ronin. Yeah. So let's talk about this faction. Ronin has this special ability where after uh, the dice are rolled in a battle, it can exhaust a sword to deal an extra hit, which sounds like, oh, cool. Like you get to take your climactic battle and like add another hit and whenever you want. Like that seems cool. Extra hits are always sweet. Until you realize that exhausting a sword is a whole separate battle. <laughs> That you could have that's probably gonna be better. Roll some dice, right? Right. Unless it's there's only uh there's a fifteen out of sixteen chance that that another battle will do as much or more damage. But well, let's also be honest with what it's what you're risking. What are what else are you risking with that though? Is is taking other hits from your opponent? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, maybe another ambush. If it's about like trying to finish off like a. One warrior, I don't know. Yeah, if it's worth trying to fix something off, if also you don't want to trigger another ambush, I don't know. That's a, that's a good point. Um, I don't think I don't think it's a great point, but it is like a factor because you guys are still right. It's like it's still generally speaking, your odds are better off doing another battle. Yeah, just the way right. that infamy works is it really incentivizes battles mm-hmm. over hits, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, you can score like so many points off of one battle. So, so the more battles you have, usually the more points you're going to score. Right. I, I will say, though, to your point, Jake, though, having an extra hit on board in the end game, especially against a faction that's a little tough, like, for instance, the Keepers in Iron or the Woodland Alliance. Yeah. It really could make a big difference. Um, overcoming, like, one of those, like, tougher factions could Woodland require Alliance just one extra hit. Woodland Alliance is a good hit. shout because the extra hit against the Woodland Alliance is probably better than another battle just because that's a really good point. There's a 25% chance you roll a zero. And when you're going against the Woodland Alliance, that's your role. And that extra hit is probably the base, right? So then with the base, you've triggered them to lose half their officers or whatever. So Mm -hmm. that's nice. Yeah. So could, could be a bit of a win slay for the Alliance. Um, And last, but most certainly not least, perhaps even first, Right. We have the Harrier. Yeah. Uh, the Harrier is the flying squirrel of doom and destruction. Uh, but even with Despot Infamy, I think the Harrier is still a dangerous choice because it's super mobile. Tell, tell us about Glide, Sam. Why is this so good? Oh, it's so gross. So first of all, the Vagabond has a free move. I feel like whoever was designing uh, the Harrier forgot that there's slip which yeah. allows them to just go into an adjacent clearing for free or a forest, which is somewhere no one else can go. All right, so that's pretty good. So then the Harrier can exhaust a torch to place their piece in any clearing. Is it move or is it place? Move. Move, move into any clearing. That's even mm-hmm. better. Yeah. That's even harder to stop. Uh, if it was place, then things like snare or the keep would stop the harrier. But because it's move, that is not the case. And slip is the only thing that allows them to skip that beyond this, right? Because right. move is a standard move with the right. boots. Okay. Right. So this allows them to slip into a, a, a juicy clearing near them. 
do some nasty business, mm-hmm. flip their torch to mm. go to an even juicier clearing wherever on the board, regardless of hostile status, and then do some more evil business. So the Harrier is definitely the most mobile and, scare, in my opinion, the scariest Vagabond. Starts with a crossbow and a sword and a coins, weirdly. Ugh. Um, <laughs> the thing to note... I feel like that one's just so tacked on. I'm just like, why is that? Why yeah. is it starting with coins? I have no it doesn't idea. Doesn't need a coins, uh, but it just makes it even stronger for no reason, which is great. Uh, so the thing about the Harrier to realize though is that it is, I think, the only vagabond that starts without a boot. That's true. Just realize that early in the game, they're just going to be slipping one clearing at a time, probably to the ruins in order to find a boot. Now they could, I suppose, use the torch to like zoom around or whatever, but. Early in the game, they're a little predictable. So you're going to want to use that to your advantage and uh, try, try and get those punches in as early as possible with the Harrier. Yeah, I think that's the smartest thing is everyone taking their turns hitting them on that first like ruin parade they go on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's let's uh, really dive into the nitty gritty here. This is a versus guide, so we have to first identify what it is the Vagabond needs in order to to thrive, to survive, and to crown themselves king of the forest, uh, and then prevent them from getting any of that. So (laughs) let's talk about what they need most of all, Sam, Jake. It's items. Yeah, they need items. That's not only their action economy, but also their hit points. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, their armor, right? Yeah. I mean, their armor is just uh, a bag and a boot, um, but for some reason, it does deflect the the meanest my armies can can throw at it. <laughs> the fact is that items are the thing that fuels the murder machine that is the vagabond, mm. and the when the table crafts items for the vagabond to grab, it becomes a huge problem. So yeah. the fact that the vagabond needs items in order to win is pretty obvious, but. I think this is a sticking point in a lot of games because crafting items gets you points. <laughs> and when you like put a crafting piece on the board, um, that's not like a permanent feature of the board now. Like sometimes it can get removed in battles or whatever. Like, so if you have the card in hand and you have the crafting piece, it can be really tempting to like just craft that hammer or whatever and score the points. Um, the problem is if the vagabond is in play, those early items can set them up for uh, an unstoppable victory. And I feel like that's a central tension in Root, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, and that's what I'm loving about the Lord of the Hundreds is it feels like it's that again, where it's like, you have to be careful of what you craft. and, And I like that it's not like, don't craft any items. It's like, well, be very careful about which items you are crafting, you know? You craft a, a sword, sure, that's two points, but you've just handed the Vagabond a sword, you know? Yeah, it's even more important with the Vagabond because it's so specific of what they can do with those items, whereas Lord of Hundreds pretty much has two choices. Well, right. not really choices, two rows, two right? Tracks two tracks. Two tracks. Into. Yeah. But it's interesting with Lord of the Hundreds, just a little, little jag, that you don't want to kind of craft the same item that's already been crafted because then they get to keep an additional mood. Right. If they double up on the same item, uh, that's actually great for Mm. the warlord because it can kind of push them towards that three threshold 
uh, which is super important, without negating one of the moods as well. Right. Uh, but for Vagabond, no such restriction. The more, the merrier. All the items help. <laughs> you know, even if it's not directly helpful, it's still hit points, like you mentioned. Right, right. So the the homework here is that we have to somehow get the table to avoid crafting items early. <laughs> yeah, how does that work? I, I feel like no one really obeys this. <laughs> uh, I will admit, myself included. Oh, I'm I'm pretty... Uh, if Vagabond is in the game, I'm like, I don't need to craft. Unless I'm yeah, the I, lizards. That's the thing is like, <sighs> then you get into the meta of like, no, I'm the faction that needs to craft the points <laughs> because I'm further behind, right? Well, also, yeah, but when you craft, you get the points and then if the Vagabond takes it, you get a card. So you're incentivized by the game to kind of do it in some way. But we're like ignore the incentivization right <laughs> it's like your money incentive. is making money so like why not do it yeah but th- the thing is is I, I think it's a central tension in root for this exact reason right it right. it's in the short term a little bit beneficial to you to have the vagabond grab that item but that item is permanently helping the vagabond win the game from that point out and so like everyone knows this this is not a secret what is mysterious is the kind of circumstances at each table in that faction mix to kind of determine how much you want to push down on the greed pedal, how soon it is that you feel like comfortable enough to craft that sword or tea or whatever to push your game forward and play your game the best you can while giving a huge advantage to a super deadly faction. <laughs> yeah, I think the but the advice of this episode is to hold off. Yeah, yeah, in a vacuum, don't do it. Right, right. In a vacuum, don't do it. Right. You have to I think you have to be the person in last place. We we should understand that the default choice is right. just don't craft. Right, 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 right. And then when you're playing your game, you have to make a decision about when to break that rule. Right, right. Can I pitch an alternate default choice? Yeah. Convince the others not to craft. <laughs> I don't think that's gonna work. I don't know. <laughs> I think I, I think I can convince you not to craft, Sam. <laughs> yeah, I think you could. Okay. But I think that you're gonna craft things that will allow the vagabond to win. Still, and then, and then I get a card. But you get, well, <laughs> I get a card, Sam. Yeah, you get a card. With I a, got a stand and it. deliver. Like I'm, I'm so set now. <laughs> Jake, I do feel like you could convince a whole table to hold off on yeah, crafting you while you go and destroy their crafting piece. <laughs> That's the goal, baby. You're like, I didn't craft the tea, and then you you destroyed my only mouse workshop. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Also, to jag back to the Lord of the Hundreds again, it's like, okay, but I don't get a card this time, but I do get a protection in battle. I get to save my pieces for a round because he's going to loot and not deal hits. But honestly, it's still the same problem. He's going to come to you and battle you because he wants what you have, and he will right. take it. And every time, now that he's got it, he can just take what he wants more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He can just battle you for real now. That's the thing is you just have to somehow prevent the engine from getting online so fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The longer you can delay, the the better it is. That's that's the real advice here. Is what, I guess what I want to change the default to is like slow it down. Don't don't craft early, right? Don't let their engine let them work to get their engine online. Mm-hmm. The vagabond just to kind of follow on this point, the vagabond needs time to close out the game. Mm-hmm. This is one of their big needs. Vagabond does not have, like, an ultra-fast scoring build like some other factions, uh, like the Woodland Alliance springs to mind. Like, Mm -hmm. they can close out a game 
kind of like really scary fast. Mm-hmm. Um, also, like different strategies with like the duchy can close out a game pretty fast as well. And and while the vagabond can burst a number of points at the end because of infamy, like I've seen a vagabond with crafting and stuff get like nine or ten points in a turn, which is pretty impressive. It takes a really solid action economy to prepare a turn like that from my experience yeah so in some ways it feels like the vagabond is like the clock of the game uh and that they just kind of score at a pretty steady steadily increasing or snowballing rate and it's just super important to just hit the snooze button on that clock (laughs) by just punching uh send them to the forest for a turn and you really have bought the table a whole extra round to play root (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh and who doesn't want to play more root right yeah, I mean, that's, we always say, the goal is to make sure that nobody wins the game. Um, Sam, is there a an item that you would say is the most important? If if you're going to break the item rule, like crafting coins to me yeah, doesn't, doesn't really matter. feel like it helps the Vagabond like too, too much. That's a great, uh, because it helps you the most, and it helps yeah. the Vagabond kind of the least, maybe, of all the items. Other than it not taking up a satchel spot, it's kind of like... Whatever. They can have another card. The Vagabond and cards don't matter too much unless they have a couple hammers or anything, right? Or if they're, like, really going for an aid strap. But coins is low on the list, and it helps you a lot. I think the number one item that's in the opposite direction that helps the Vagabond the most and will help you the least is tea. Even though tea is the cheap one that gets you two points, it's such a good deal. It's like it's baked into the game of like, oh, craft the tea. Go ahead, do it. But that gives the Vagabond two extra actions every turn. Now, the cats have three actions. So does the Vagabond at the beginning. They can refresh three items every turn. They might start with a couple more and get a couple more. So there could be a couple burst turns. But every turn, they're only guaranteed three. If you give them a tea, they're guaranteed five. Or if they already start with a tea and you give them, now they've got seven it's just like that we all know you don't you don't deserve that many actions on your turn in root <laughs> if somebody has that many they're a problem yeah tea truly is a luxury and you want to a hundred percent deny the vagabond that it's like i i feel like tea is more important than a hammer even oh yeah where if you craft the hammer at the table it's like oh that is that is low but i understand whereas if you craft tea i'm just like do you want to lose the game? Like, <laughs> are you trying to lose right now? Yeah, because hammer, although it, there's only one hammer card, right? So it's pretty easy to deny them that hammer. And they'll always have one from the ruins. Crafting the hammer seems like a bad idea because now they can craft their own items, including swords. But they have to get those cards in their hand. And that's just like, it can happen, but like... The RNG will kind of help save you in some of those ways. So I agree. I think T is is the biggest bad there. Because that's the source of the most points is the actions, is those battles, those moves, and questing and stuff. And, I mean, just think about it this way. It's like three actions plus a quest every turn. Right. That's just like a lot of potential points. And if three of those items are three swords, like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, just don't craft the T. Don't craft Be a the team tea. player. Don't do it. Uh, I will say, though, if it's late enough in the game, a T is not going to help the Vagabond that much. Right. If it's like close to the end, then go ahead. Does that also go for holding it if the Tinker's in the game? Yeah, I'd say so. Okay. Great. If it's your second to last or last turn, craft the T. Right, right. Sure. Yeah, yeah. 
but never before then. All right. Yeah, yeah. Never before then. These are hard and fast rules. No exceptions. <laughs> Ever. So the another need the Vagabond has is to battle for maximum points. Okay. Infamy, we've been talking about it all episode, is just this incredibly strong scoring mechanic, but it requires mobility to reach those juicy clearings with lots of mm, cardboard. <laughs> if you have lightly defended mm, cardboard, uh, prepare for a visit from the Vagabond. <laughs> yeah, so the, the Vagabond is going to be attracted like a moth to a flame to any clearing that has just a bunch of cardboard hanging out, whether that's buildings or tokens or whatever. Mm -hmm. they, they are drawn to the cardboard. Mm -hmm. So how do we deny them getting these maximal point battles, Kyle? Well... It's hard to do it directly because, I mean, aside from just punching, like there, there's not really a way to like, you know, knock their engine offline completely. The thing you can impact, though, is the mobility of the Vagabond. If there's a juicy clearing, but it's a couple moves away, the best thing you can do is just like put one or two warriors in clearings like around that clearing so that the hostile movement kicks in, requiring the Vagabond to exhaust an extra boot in order to move into a hostile clearing or clearing with hostile warriors, uh, to be specific. And the more you can do this around the map, the harder it's going to be for that Vagabond to get around and the slower their scoring is going to be. Because let's say, for example, that they are coming from uh, one of the ruins and they got to move two clearings to get to, I don't know, a sawmill, for example. They are going to need at least two boots if they're hostile with the cats to do that. Right. If they don't have two boots, then that's no good. If they're more than one clearing away, uh, you can slow down the Vagabond pretty significantly with uh, these kind of hostile movement rules. So no way to it directly do it, but indirectly, just put little warriors around. It'll, yeah, if you're a Cats player and you're deciding between saving the wood for next turn or spending the wood, even though you might not want to build that building, it might be worth it. To spend the wood, just so you don't have a clearing with too much cardboard all congealed in one, too. Yeah, it, it may be worth looking at the Vagabond's player board, too, and just being like, can they get there? Right. If they can, spend it. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're coming for you otherwise. They may still come for you. <laughs> yeah. Better to get the points. Um, lastly, Sam, let's talk about this. So, in the beginning of the game, the Vagabond likes to go on this parade around the ruins, right? Mm -hmm. Collecting items. But there's two items that I feel like stand out as being particularly valuable in this kind of ruin parade. Yeah. Uh, and that's the sword and the hammer. Definitely. Um, I, I like to put it this way. So like the vagabond becomes very self-sufficient after they have a sword and a hammer. But yeah. before then, they are kind of relying on the players at the table to like leave them alone or like craft something useful for them. That The interactivity is a little more incentivized early, early in the game before they have this hammer and sword. Um, I just feel like I, that opens up the tree for them, like the kind of tech tree for the Vagabond. Exactly. <laughs> Here's the thing. They're looking for that hammer, you know, because a hammer allows them to craft a tea. And there are three tea cards in the deck. So it's one of the most plentiful cards you can get in Root. You're, you're likely to see it. Um, so they are, are hoping to get that. See, they're going to craft it for two points and then have five actions for the rest of the game. Like, it is just the first threshold they're looking to meet. Like a good early revolt, the Vagabond is searching for a hammer and a T card. 
Um, and I think you're right. The early sword is almost just for defense because don't forget the Vagabond is undefended if they don't have a sword, which means they get an extra hit dealt to them. So kind of sending them on an early trip to the forest kind of short circuits the Vagabond's ability to be self-reliant and self-generate an action economy. Yeah. It's still going to happen, but uh, it's a much better place to deal with if you, if they don't get it all for free at the beginning, right? If they don't get to develop just unimpeded. A hundred percent. I like to think of it this way, too. If like you send the Vagabond to the forest early, early, uh, it means that everybody else at the table is going to be in a stronger position to deal with them once they come back out of the forest. Yep. You're just like, your army gets to build up a little more. You get to kind of, you know, rearrange your warriors however you wish um, while they're in there. Yeah, yeah, the table can handle them a bit better if they spend an early turn in the forest. Hit them early, and then, uh, like we said at the beginning, look smugly at the other players at the table and be like, <laughs> I did it. All right? <laughs> Now it's your guys' turn. When it sucks more, (laughs) it's going to be your turn. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, let's jump into some crafting stuff. Um, I feel like the Vagabond is a a weird faction to talk about in relation to crafting, but we've come up with a couple ideas for cards you can craft to to counter the Vagabond. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this like kind of from the beginning of this episode. When we're talking about counter crafting items, this is actually, I almost took this out of the guides like i'm like does it make sense to even talk about crafting items because it's just kind of like you do it except for this one actually matters like so much (laughs) um but we've been already talking about i don't think we need to go into it too much it's just that like tea is super important don't be crafting the swords i mean don't craft the items yeah just craft carefully be mindful of the vagabond's economy and avoid fueling it yeah they are. This yeah. is a similar situation to feeding the otters. It's the, it's. I yes. really parallel them. Encourage yeah. others not to buy from the otters, and then if I need to, I'll buy from the otters. But like in this case, we have to, we have to avoid it as much as possible early on. Yeah, yeah. All right. But what improvements in the base deck can we rely on? Hopefully, um, I, I'm throwing this one out here. I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, Royal claim, I think, is an, as a counter to the vagabond. Hmm. Not a direct counter. Like it doesn't really impact the vagabond directly. But, like we said, the Vagabond is a clock. They're scoring, like, steadily ramps up. Sure. Royal Claim is a card that's based on territory that you rule, which the Vagabond has a hard time influencing. Sure. And it scores you a bunch of points. It puts you, like, almost a full turn ahead of where the Vagabond is at. So, in a kind of, like, racing scenario where you're just trying to build up a bunch of points as quickly as possible you are going to be much closer to the finish line if you craft royal claim and <laughs> the vagabond. i mean that's always kind of true for everybody but i see what you're saying because if it's a foot race you this is a shortcut in the end right a hundred percent and it's the type of thing where the vagabond is just one meeple that can affect one clearing at a time so at most they can okay kind of reduce your presence by like one or two but usually not enough to like significantly break your royal claim scoring ability. I guess I was skeptical at first about why we're including this, but I see that if one of those opposing factions doesn't ever disrupt your rule, then royal claim is possibly better, right? And so it's a longer. I feel like shortcut. royal claim is only effective for two factions now. Now that we have the Lord of Hundreds, I think it could possibly get use out of it but other than that it's a birds card 
It's an eerie yeah. dynasties card. Yeah, I just I do feel like it highlights the things that the vagabond is bad at. That's true. It Namely, can't rule controlling clearance. territory yeah. and scoring a bunch of points super fast in the mm-hmm. mid game. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, it's a tough one. I, yeah, that's mainly in a. a we'll start with the weak one. Example. What's a better one? <laughs> uh, the two defensive cards, yeah. uh, namely sappers and armor. Sappers is nice because whenever the vagabond attacks your stuff, uh, at least you can do something about it. <laughs> yeah, and deal them a hit. And then armors is nice. I, I tried to make this a little bit active. Armorers is like you craft it so that you can go out and punch the vagabond kind of for free. Yeah. Sappers is purely defensive. It's like when you are attacked by the vagabond, you deal one extra hit. Armors just negates all rolled hits. Mm-hmm. Right. So use that on the offense against the vagabond. Do your civic duty, but don't lose your whole army over it. Come on. Right. <laughs> Smart. And that's it of the base deck, right? Like, there's yeah. <laughs> this is a limited no conversation in general, right? There aren't a lot of hard counters for this little bastard. But like, I guess I suppose armors is the top of the list for me. But what about EMP? Uh, ENP, we have a couple of ideas here. Uh, it, kind of similar uh, to Sappers, actually, is Partisans. Yeah. Partisans lets you deal an extra hit, but it's not just on defense. It's also on offense. Mm-hmm. Just depends on the suit of the clearing. But I feel like Partisans is helpful partly to dissuade the Vagabond from straight up battling you yeah. in, in certain clearings. Right. Uh, but it can be super duper helpful if you deal some damage to the Vagabond, but not enough to send them to the forest. That can be the extra hit that tips the balance uh, and forces them into the forest, for example. Um, So partisans can be a little bit helpful, a little bit helpful as well as swap meat. I think just for kind of filtering out those potential like item crafty cards from the vagabond's hand in a a kind of very high level way, I guess you could sort of influence their ability to aid cards based on the suit. Yeah. Uh, You know, if you're giving a card back to them, uh, where there's not a lot of presence, then that can kind of put a damper on their ability to aid cards. But that's pretty high level to figure out that situation, right? Because you just got to figure out where they can't go to. Right? And yeah, you only a see one card. Yeah, so. that's a lot of math. Yeah, I think you're mostly just trying to steal T. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Swap yeah. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, and then lastly, we have uh, Eerie Emigre, which uh, I know Cole is a big fan of. And I think with Vagabond, it makes a little bit of sense to have this yeah. crafted because it, it just makes going after the Vagabond a little less taxing on your action economy. Yeah, for sure. It's a free attack and you might not want to antagonize the others at that moment, but everybody's fine with antagonizing the little possum. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a good way to just put a little, a little hurt on the Vagabond on your turn and then still do whatever it is you need to do. Yeah, unfortunately, you're still probably going to lose a couple warriors, but it's really nice to have the actions freed up, especially that Eerie Emigre is a move and battle. Like, you don't even have to, like, set yourself up for it or take one action to move yourself out of position to get a free battle. Like, maybe something like um, Command Warren or something might might also be a good one from the base deck, but... Uh, Eerie Emigre just is is very clean and gives you... Gives you a little range, yeah. yeah. I will say, though, that this could potentially create a situation where the Vagabond is, like, kind of skirting your boundaries uh, where your your presence is in order to kind of stay away from Eerie Emigre. But uh, that right. being said, Eerie Emigre is just, like, not a very common crafted improvement that I see. Right. But it could be effective against the Vagabond. Again, no hard counters here, just ways to make attacking the vagabond a little more painless <laughs> uh-oh all right 
I think it's time for my favorite part of the guides. Yeah, Sam. Look, you might have a vagabond problem if... T. <laughs> we talked about this already. I mean, if the vagabond has a T, you've got a vagabond problem. It's that yeah. simple. It's urgent if they have a T. Yeah. And you're like, but Sam, doesn't one of them start with a T? Yes, and you start with a vagabond problem. <laughs> Even if you draw a tea, if you see a tea, <laughs> it's a problem. If you're drinking tea right now, you're the problem. Spit it out. You might also have a vagabond problem if swords. All right. If the vagabond has multiple swords, one sword isn't that bad, honestly. Many of them yeah. start with one too, right? Right. Right. That's not that big a deal. Two is like, there's some danger. Yeah, you've got a problem. Three, Three is like, <laughs> five alarms. Five <laughs> alarms going on. And most of them are just my voice doing an alarm sound. <laughs> my fire alarm uh, does this funny thing where if it detects smoke, it will just go, fire. <laughs> fire. <laughs> It will just say fire and then it'll give like a straight tone and just be like, Dee! fire. You realize it's a psychological test and because you haven't left when that occurs. That's true. I just get so wrapped up in the in the recording. <laughs> um, like I said, listeners, uh, this is the future and I am dead. Um, yeah, that's right. Smoke inhalation is terrible. God damn it. Um, if you die in the next two weeks. Wait. Is Kyle the character in season two that dies? <laughs> no. Oh, no. Uh, I did win a game today as the builder. I just want to mention, I thought of Builder Jim. Yeah, you I really won as a builder? Was this a practical yeah. joke game? What was this? No, no. I started with the coins in my hand and a, and a bird card. Oh, I was like, I'm just going to go for it. Okay. I crafted both coins. Wow. And royal claim, actually. Wow. That is good, Builder Jim. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You're yeah. the new Builder Jim, I think. Kyle. <laughs> well, that's why he's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, my bones. <laughs> <laughs> you might have a vagabond problem if they're hostile with a faction with lots of cardboard. Looking at you, Marquise de Cat. Also, with an alliance, I feel That's like it's true. a big culprit That's here, true. too. Yeah. But even like keepers in iron, like you're already scoring an extra point from removing those relics and an extra point from infamy. That's a three point piece of cardboard Whoa. right there. I, I imagine that vagabonds are looking at all relics and just thinking like i'm coming for you <laughs> whoa i didn't think about that i haven't seen that interaction yet yeah it's potentially pretty deadly and so as soon as they're hostile with a faction that like has a good amount of cardboard around um is it, or like a river folk faction uh river folk company that has a lot of trade posts that are still out on the map mm -hmm. got to be a little careful about that i still feel like the top is cats because the cats can't defend like the badgers can either well, and ca cats, uh, I mean, now badgers, too, are were the only faction that could have multiple tokens in yeah. the same clearing. Yeah. Which is so scary when Vagabond And the cats make so many freaking buildings. They have like a metropolis wherever yeah. they go. Yeah. Yeah. It could be worth mentioning the Lord of the Hundreds as well because of the mob tokens mm. that can mm -hmm. just kind of pop up and not always super defensible or like you wouldn't even want to defend. I'm eager to see that interaction as well. Well, it's nice because they fight over the ruin items. Yeah. Right. That's so key. 
Yeah, I guess that that's like a pretty direct way to counter the Vagabond is like, be Lord of the Hundreds, yeah. I guess. <laughs> Lord of the Hundreds in the game, for sure. Uh, yeah, we have a problem with him getting too many items and no one attacking him. And then Lord of the Hundreds is like, <clears throat> did I hear my name? <laughs> <laughs> All I do is punch and items. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess Vagabond disregards a press, essentially. Right? Like, as long as Vagabond is in the clearing then Lord of the Hundreds really can't do anything about it. Yeah, he negates it. Negates yeah. it, yeah. Yeah, no way to remove that piece from a clearing, unless it's their choice to slip into the forest. Right. <laughs> but that's on their turn. What I'm saying yeah, is, like... Yeah, they get to decide. The The Lord of the Hundreds can't ever just, like, go to the clearing with the Vagabond and kill the Vagabond to where it can oppress that clearing. If a Vagabond exists in a clearing, it cannot be oppressed. You might have a vagabond problem if they reach allied status with a faction. Mm, I think this in is our a big one. yeah, just don't let this happen. Like, what are you doing? You have to hit them. This is where that uh, kind of they damage their sword nonsense can kind of prevent you from making preventing them from having this happen. I just it it is a huge problem if they can exhaust one item and give you a card for two points. And they yeah. can do that as many times as they have cards. That is dangerous. And realize to a lesser extent, uh, we don't see this as often, but technically if you become allied with a player, anytime you move, you can bring their warriors with you. We don't see this too often, but I have seen before when a Vagabond in the end game will aid a bunch of cards for a bunch of points, move out of a clearing that's got some cardboard, take all the friendly warriors with them. I've done this. Crossbow one to become hostile, move back into that clearing, and then just like wreck all the cardboard uh, to close out the game. The narrative of that is so funny, too. It's like, let's go, guys. Come on, we're going to do it. And then walks back and lights it all on fire. Like, oh, it is classic Vagabond. Uh, that is the most Vagabond energy that I can think of. It's such a trickster type of faction. I love it. Oh, love it. Brutal. Yeah, that's that's a dirty way to win the game, but I really love it. It's a dirty if, game. If you can get to it that point in the game, game while you're, when you're allied and someone lets you get to that point, then honestly, they should have battled you earlier. <laughs> so what do we do? How do we we've got these problems like in general? How do we check the Vagabond? Yeah, this is a tricky one because it's not like checking them gets us points. So how do we do this and still come out the player that's on top, Kyle? Well, you have to be selective, but you have to punch. Yeah. It's important to punch early for two reasons. One is table cred, and you can look at everyone later <laughs> in the game and say, I did it. We're really putting high value on this smug look of ours. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> an important part of playing against them. <laughs> part of the narrative of the game that you're helping to craft uh, can be that you hit the Vagabond early. Later on in the game, you can kind of, you know, shirk your Vagabond punching duty a little bit and, and favor your own development. But really, it is it is a table project to squash the Vagabond yeah. as much as possible. So not only punch, but encourage others to punch. Make them make that smug. That smug look is there for a reason, which is to say you need to follow suit. Like, I don't think any other advice we're about to give after this is as important as punch. And the times when we've lost a Vagabond, I think every time I've lost a Vagabond is because they weren't punched enough. I mean, there's a variety of reasons they won, obviously. Right. But 
amongst those, chief amongst those, yeah. was a lack of And the punching. reason we're harping on this so much is because that literally is the only direct counter. Right. right. Like, we, we don't have other ways to really impact their action economy or, like, interrupt their growth. It really is just, like, straight-up battling. And its effect is limited by, obviously, how many items they've got, and then they're just going to repair them all in the forest on a turn anyway. So it's a finite solution, but it's the only solution. And and maybe th- this is what I, I kind of alluded to earlier. It's You have to be a little selective or just be aware of what the Vagabond can accomplish on their turn. I think it's it's a pretty common situation where the Vagabond has a couple of damaged items, but is still, like, trucking on. Yeah. You know, they're still moving around. They're still, like, completing whatever, you know, battling and exploring and doing all that stuff. But you have to decide, like, when is the time to send them to the forest and when is the time to do, like, chip damage or settle for chip damage, I should say. Because it can be the case that after coming out of the forest, the Vagabond gets a full turn with everything refreshed and can do a ton of damage with a, like, fully online, like, 100% pedal to the metal turn um whereas if they're carrying around a couple damaged items you can kind of keep them on life support a little bit by not sending them into the forest with a drastic attack you got to kind of feel that out a little bit mm. um but some, something i've noticed if, if they get the hard reset of going to the forest sometimes they can come out of that even stronger than they went in <laughs> yeah that's true that's true I, I like what you've got here, Kyle. So having dispersed warriors, right? Having lots of warriors around the clearings makes movement expensive and taxes the action economy of the Vagabond, right? Because of once they are in hostile status, it costs them an extra boot to move towards a clearing with a hostile warrior. It's important to have those warriors around. There's like the loophole of the Woodland Alliance where they can just keep going into sympathetic clearings because there's no warriors there, Right. Honestly, like parking a warrior on your sympathy or making sure that there's another faction who's hostile in that clearing can be uh, an important thing to do to make sure that the Vagabond can't just go anywhere they want and kill everything they want. Yeah, 100%. And just put yourself in the shoes of the Vagabond for a second. Like, on your turn, what do you want to refresh? It's like swords, Mm -hmm. a torch uh, to do some stuff, like... I don't know, a crossbow. Like, you want to just refresh all the, like, good items. Mm -hmm. But if you have to spend two of those slots refreshing boots just so you can get to somewhere interesting. Yeah. Like, uh, it's such a drag, right? And then you got to exhaust both of those boots and then you're just stuck doing that again. Uh, I I think this is just a really nice way of making sure that the Vagabond doesn't get to optimize too much. Yeah, we've, we've talked about all these things before. But yeah, battle early and deny the items. Yeah. Early on, it's just the easiest time to yeah. fight the Vagabond. Yeah. It may be tempting to wait for the Vagabond to come to you and, like, aid you a card first and then battle them. But no, just do it right away. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the crux of what we're starting to say here with the whole how to check is, like, it's not complex. Punch. No. And, like, <laughs> limit their movement. Like, there there are little things you can do, but, like, hitting them when you can is the best thing by far. I, the Dispersed Warriors is de- definitely effective, but it's also situational to being hostile, um, which they won't always be. So, Well, they can be hostile if you punch them and they have a sword. You can right, make if them they go have, hostile yes. with you. Right? right, right. I agree that, like, there's nothing groundbreaking we've got here, but honestly, the level of discipline is unique. I think you have mm-hmm. to be the most disciplined in following this, like punch them early and don't give them the early crafts 
uh, with the Vagabond than in all of these, you know, guides. Because this is a threat level red. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly, yeah. Yeah, don't be cute about it. Yeah. Just hit him. Yeah, we had birds that was orange and red. And it was like, well, if they have this certain opening, it can be really dangerous and hard to stop. Vagabond starts that way. Maybe yeah. with the exception of Adventurer. <laughs> like, <laughs> or Ronin, you know, I don't know, whatever. It's an extremely flexible, good faction. And Kyle said it. It's the clock of the game. It's the inevitable winner. And if you want to change that narrative, you're going to have to be disciplined and, and hit early and deny the crafts. So let's get into special teams. Special teams. All right. Calling an audible on this one. So I, uh, I actually think this is a great point to uh, bring up damaging the sword. We mentioned this concept, but I want to dig in real quick. So what is damaging the sword? You see this occasionally in a game of Root. This is uh, kind of like a friendly neighborhood vagabond move where uh, a player intentionally damages their only sword or swords in order to avoid becoming hostile with another faction. They can't deal any hits in a battle, so they can never become hostile, right? At least they, like they're, they're choosing to not go hostile. The point of doing that is basically just to preserve the ability to aid that faction later on and kind of keep moving up the relationship track. Uh, eventually becoming allied with them and scoring maximum points in the end game with cards. We'll see this occasionally with like the vagrant uh, who doesn't start with a sword, but you know, if they explore for a sword or whatever, they can damage it. Uh, the adventurer, especially because they can damage an item in order to complete a quest will occasionally damage the sword on purpose uh, and kind of like nest these strategies together, complete a quest while maintaining the ability uh, to move up the relationship track with a faction. Uh, and I guess the Harrier as well, because they don't, you know, they start with the coins. But when your movement is that good, like, why would you? Yeah. Just go around and hit stuff. Yeah. Um, Harrier's not doing the heavy aid strat when infamy exists. But they start with the coins, Sam. <laughs> you know, well, that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> what I will say about this strategy is that damaging the sword is double-edged. Because if you have no swords that are available, you are undefended and you just take extra hits. And already some of your items are damaged, so you're just going to be losing items even faster. So it is likely that you'll hit the forest uh, with this type of strategy. And if you're in the forest, obviously that repairs everything. So there's a, there's a little bit of timing that is required to like make the most of this little uh, mini strategy, let's call it, or tactic, I guess. Uh, but if you see somebody damaging the sword, just be aware this could be an intentional tactic to boost their aid scoring later on. Uh, and lastly, this is definitely the flashiest vagabond trick that I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, and I really love it. I, uh, I want to see it more cause it's, it's so cool. This is the vagrant, uh, using instigate in order to play an ambush that they have against an attacker that they've chosen. Yeah. So this is the only way you can ambush somebody on your own turn. The vagrants can exhaust a torch to initiate a battle. And usually what you would think they would use this is making two other factions fight. Mm -hmm. um, but they can choose themselves as the defender and then therefore play an ambush card on their turn. <laughs> um, this can be really mean to do to like the Woodland Alliance or somebody who's got very few warriors defending that cardboard. And then even before the battle, you've taken out their warriors. And so 
you're all set in that. It's perfect for Woodland Alliance because they're going to roll higher than you if they have a warrior there. Yeah. Or they're going to, yeah, I mean, yes, they're going to roll higher than you or tied with you. Right. Yeah, I think this is nice too if there's a, you know, a sizable kind of meeple army guarding a bunch of cardboard. You can just chew through a couple of those guys mm-hmm. for no effort. Like, it's fantastic. <laughs> and again, just very flashy, vagrant self-ambush trick. Let's see it. I more. love it. That's that's the most vagabond move. Ah, it's so vagabond. I want a vagabond that starts with two torches. That's what I want. Whoa. The flame bearer. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a badger character, actually. I think flame bearers is actually one of the um, hirelings. Really? Yeah, it's the warlord's hireling. Yeah, that sounds right. Is that just like a bear that's on fire? <laughs> the flame bear? <laughs> Help me! Kyle? <laughs> Kyle, is that you in a bear costume? Uh, I cannot die. The flames die. hurt, but it's really the smoke inhalation. <laughs> fire. Fire. <laughs> fire. Uh, all right. Well, let's wrap this up. Here we go. The Vagapond, definitely one of the most resilient factions in the game. Yeah. Their ability to bounce back after getting checked is truly frightening. Yeah. It can be hard to know if you've even done enough to stop the Vagabond from winning. Plus, getting the rest of the table to be proactive about the Vagabond, whether that's through denying them items or just outright battling, could be a major table talk challenge. Mm-hmm. While Despot Infamy in the tournament has really affected the play style and sort of pushed us in more of a questy kind of, uh, you know, trying to get points from multiple sources type direction rather than just relying on infamy. This faction remains one of the deadliest and most versatile in the game. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting to see the effect that Desperate Infamy is having. And Kyle, I love your current Discord name, Desperate Infamy, is what it feels <laughs> like. Like, they, the Vagabond finally, for once, has to claw and try to play the game and is not the clock anymore. I feel like yeah, that's how I... Yeah, they gotta scrape. Yeah, they have to scrape. Yeah. As, as a player that loves playing the scrapier factions, I like this idea. But yeah, it's, it remains to be seen it's effect and i know that cole is very is watching these tournament games very closely with how despot infamy affects it who knows maybe soon that will be the rule with the Ooh, ambitious so you know it, it's something to keep in mind but for now they are the murderiest serial killer scary guys <laughs> there are god there's just ugh. They they can really bring a game of root to a, an untimely conclusion. Yeah, um, we're we are going to have to ask Cole about Des- Despot Infamy when we talk to him next. Yeah, and we're going to ask him about uh, Price of Failure versus Fear of the Faithful. Oh God, <laughs> <laughs> we got to get a take from the man himself. Yeah, he's definitely gonna have some 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 odd third thing he thinks is worse. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, a hundred percent. He's gonna be like losing a base. Yeah, losing a base. <laughs> Way worse. <laughs> I would I think we I think that is an interesting uh like kind of like tier list of like when when a faction gets checked. Like I don't know what the word for all this is, but like Well, they're different, um, right? Because like they're all self checking. Well, I don't know what they are. They're they are flaws. <laughs> they're yeah. Uh, yeah. Vulnerabilities. Achilles heels. Yeah. Achilles heels, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Maybe. Um or like implosion costs. It it's like <laughs> you're like aim 
aim by their necks because that's where their armor isn't, you know? Or what's that? What's <laughs> yeah, that? The weak spot? Yeah, like a weak, yeah. yeah. Yeah, turmoil, price of failure, fear of the faithful, losing a base. Being cats. <laughs> oh, no, rough. <laughs> well, cats really doesn't have one. It is just like, it's hard to be a cat. Losing a song. That's precisely right, like though, is rough. they don't have one. And those factions that you mentioned do. So yeah. I think they are vulnerabilities or something like that. Yeah. Uh, losing a relic feels like pretty tough. Uh, Maybe. Yeah, I feel like the new factions don't have these things. The the relic goes back into the forest, right? Yeah, but they right. get to put it for, further away. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you have to go like delve it out again. It's like a whole thing. Yeah. Uh, losing the warlord is like a reset as well. Yeah, but is it, it barely matters. Yeah, you got to choose a new guy. <laughs> it's a whole thing. It's like an anointment ceremony. <laughs> it's not like the ceremony takes time. Do you know how to start the ceremony, though? Oh, yeah. Root, 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 root